Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now and lasses, this is your old pal Robert Carlyle, the star of the Full Monty. Did you like that movie? I had a great time swinging me winger about. Well this week you're going to listen to a podcast and I love this podcast because they talk about movies made in Britain and I hate Britain. You know why I hate Britain? Because they're British. Well technically I'm British too, but I don't think of myself as British because I'm Scottish and we're going to fix that the next time and you better believe it. So in the meantime, while we try to achieve Scottish independence, I expect you to sit down and watch Brendan and Jason for Screen and Country. You could listen to it too, but I mean you can watch it if you want, but I don't know where you're going to watch it. So, watch it. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Carlisle. It was a very interesting. He's a very energetic actor. Yeah, he uh, he ma- he sounded like he had a few before he made a rec- might have recorded. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to cast aspersions or, or make or you know play into stereotypes, but he is Scottish. So let's let's be honest. I mean, isn't Irish the stereotype? Well, then, I mean, that's the thing. Every all all the British Isles have a reputation for drinking because it's terrible there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this that's is straight been... up. This has been for Screen and Country, the film about terrible British people and their terrible films. <laughs> the film about terrible British yeah, people? Yeah, th- we're actually filming a movie right now. Oh, yes. is that why the cameras are here? Yeah, I was. I, I didn't tell you. Oh, well, I thought I, it was just a weird sex thing. Well, I mean, the, little column A, little column B. We'll get to that later, folks. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brendan. I'm Jason. And this is for Screen and Country. So what do we do in this show, Jason? What do we do? Well, we do what so many other podcasts do, but we do it better. <laughs> Is what it comes down to. We talk about movies, Brendan. We talk about movies. We talk about specifically the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time, conceived in 1999. We take each episode and we break a movie down off the list. We say, is it culturally significant? Is it historically significant? Is it historically accurate? Mm-hmm. Um, is it worth your time? Does it hold up? Etc. 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 But before we get to the movie. That we are talking about this week. Which we both know exactly what it is. Yes, because it's recorded all at the same time. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about last week's movie, The Full Monty. Because we got some comments. I believe in miracles! Where are you from? Sexy thing. Hey. Get it, guys? It's like the song that plays in the yeah. movie. I have to explain the joke to the folks at home. They need it because they're really stupid. Uh, oh, can we cut that out? No. Oh. You guys are all right. I'm going to expose you for the <laughs> fraud you are. Uh, 
yeah, so full volunteer, let's talk a little bit about the comments we received here. So, sure, Brendan. Uh, so first one is actually kind of a negative one. We didn't get too many negative comments about the movie, but this one is from Lincoln Carlton, and he said, it's charming, if a little boring at times. If you come across this movie on TV, I could see that. Uh, a lot of I commercials. Understand that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of commercials. What do we got? I'll give you the longer one. <laughs> well, so uh, uh, Paul Andrew Burnett says, I was working in a coffee shop when this was released, and the owner of the shop also owned a movie theater. We all loved the movie so much that we got his name. We got to name his soda, popcorn, and candy special offer The Full Monty. That's a good name. He owns a different theater now, but the special is still called The Full Monty. That's a good little anecdote. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm actually going to skip ahead here because I like these uh, anecdotes here that we get. This is, here's an anecdote for you from John Tripp. Uh, he says, I took a screenwriting course in college and this is one of the professor's favorites. He'd show it in class every semester. One time there was a problem with the DVD player and they wouldn't be able to watch the, we wouldn't be able to last, watch the last 20 minutes or so. Uh, one girl expressed her disappointment and the professor said, I've seen it so many times I could probably act it out for you. And then he realized what he just said and was very embarrassed. <laughs> that's that's, that's a, it's a fun movie. I like the full Monty. Yeah. <laughs> Let me act out the final scene for you. <laughs> uh, uh, just quickly, Taylor Neal says, I saw it for the first time last year and was so delighted. I basically saw it for the first time last year as well. Yeah. I mean, last week. Yeah. yeah. Totally when I saw yeah, it was sure, last totally. week. It was last week. Uh, Todd Lawrence says, sweet film. Seems a bit in- inconsequential for a top 100 films list. Yes, but this is England. <laughs> and that's all you need to know. Um, and then, Car- oh, this is a, look at that name. Carmeg DeForest. Oh. Uh, he responds with, I don't agree with you at all, Todd Lawrence. The movie touches on the bleak legacy of Thatcher's economic policies, definitely presents variations on its themes of friendship, love, marriage, and the meaning and value of work. Great acting, great script, great editing, camera work, and music! Exclamation mark. I have no problem seeing the full Monty on someone's or one's top 50 British films list. If I was a list maker, which I hope to one day be a list maker, by the way, I might even put it on the list myself. I like this movie. Don't know that it would be on my personal top 100 films of all time, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a great movie. Okay, I know we're like not far into this, and I know we haven't we haven't watched a whole lot of movies so far. Mm-hmm. But do you think it's going to be in your top 50 of the hundred? That's a good question. That's to be seen. I mean, if Carry On Kyber uh, give, <laughs> gives us the flame of comedy that we need, then maybe it won't be there. Prediction. But, uh, Let's make a bold prediction, Jason. Top 50 or bottom 50? Where do you think it's going to fall when it's all said and done? It'll probably slot in right at 47. Oh, okay. He's just going to make it at 47 now just to make it... Just to make it. It's my Star Trek The Next Generation reference episode for this episode. There you go. Todd responds, Yeah, it certainly has political resonance, but a lot of films set in post-Thatcher England do. It kind of became a mini-genre for a while. I think it was inventive as hell to take, the reality, to take that reality to the place they took it, but I don't think it was especially profound. I suppose you credit it with getting at something key about men feeling they had little more left to offer. I don't think that's too big a stretch, but it isn't handled in a way that uh, gives that kind of shame much weight. Instead, they play it as kind of a comic gallows humor. Mm. Anyway, not really intending to take anything away from the film. I like it. Hopefully people can distinguish between someone saying, I wouldn't count this among the 100 best films ever, and this is a film without value. Um... So are you? Are we just reading like internet arguments now in the comments <laughs> yeah. section? Yep, uh, haters twenty nine says, <laughs> "I hated this. Every I just messaged every actor on Twitter and hope hope that they retire forever." Uh, no, it's. I think it's a valid thing to kind of talk about. Is that 
I, I see, this was my opinion before we watched it last week. I saw it as like a comedy that's just like a comedy. It's just like a fun comedy. But after we kind of d- dived into it last week, mm. there's a lot more going on. Yeah. And I think I think that kind of puts it in a more of a different category. And I think uh, I'm going to make a bold prediction and say, I think it might even end up being higher for me in the top in the top 100 by the end of this podcast. We shall see. Yeah. So uh, let's see if we got anything else here. Uh, Eric Diedrich's just this great comedy, but it shouldn't be that high on the list. Hmm. And what's that last one? Uh, I haven't seen this in years, says Elaine Dulalis. But I recall thinking the film was absolutely so sweet, and not in a saccharine way, but in an aw shucks sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it it feels genuine. Aw shucks. The genuine film with genuine performances. Uh, There was also a comment that said they kind of liked how they had, like, the uh, same-sex relationship, and... uh, yeah. It was barely commented on. It was barely commented on, but it was like, it was the way it was presented was mm. kind of progressive. Pro- progressive and positive, certainly, for especially for 1997. Seven. Yeah. So, our final little feature here is uh, just something we've started since the beginning. So, I guess it's always been a feature. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at starting these things. <laughs> it's uh, comparing number 25 on the BFI, which is the full Monty, to number 25 on the AFI, the American Film Institute 2007 list. Which is... That would be the classic To Kill a Mockingbird. Gregory Peck, Brock Peters. Wow, that's quite... Robert Duvall. Is he in that? Yeah, he's a... Uh, uh, I don't know that I've ever actually seen it. I think he is. Robert Duvall, Robert Redford. Oh, God. That's uh, somebody. But Brock Peters is in it, and that's what matters. Speaking of Star Trek, Brock Peters played Admiral Cartwright in Star Trek's 4 and 6, as well as uh, 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 Benjamin Sisko's father. Uh, who ran a restaurant. Can I explain the rules of saying, speaking of, oh. you have to actually be on the subject before... You... I'm always talking about Star Trek. Always. We record these out of order, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> um, oh, man. I saw that back in high school. Mm. So, for me to compare them, it'd be yeah. tough. Well, but I can tell you, it, I, I like the Full Monty a lot, but I don't know that it quite compares to... To Kill a Mockingbird as far as the, the impact that it's had and what it means. Yeah. <laughs> I am surprised To Kill a Mockingbird, honestly, is that, is that high. So, yeah. Um, it's hard. I, I honestly can't answer. I think Jason's probably onto something uh, that's probably, you know, more of a movie. As, but... as much as I like the Full Monty in 50 years, we'll probably still mention To Kill a Mockingbird as a classic film. I don't know that the Full Monty will come up. Gregory Peck is in both movies, though. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to take off my pants now. Before I help this African American chap get out of jail, would you like to earn your freedom? <laughs> that is not part of that plot, not at all. So, with that being said, Jason, what do we got on the docket this week? This week we have the 1989 film My Left Foot. Oh, <laughs> 
I only wish we actually did have video cameras because you could have seen Jason's wonderful miming of that beautiful theme song. That was no miming. I was singing that. <laughs> that was him, actually. That was, that him. was me. <laughs> Live to tape. So 1989's My Left Foot, the story of Christy Brown. That's the full title, by the way. That is the full title. Uh, it is on screen at the very beginning of the film. <laughs> directed by Jim Sheridan, who also did uh, In the Name of the Father and Get Rich or Die Trying. <laughs> Really? Yes. Um, starring... He's had a varied career, this guy. <laughs> starring Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, I thought it was 50 Cent. <laughs> no, no, no. Get Richard Oh, oh okay. <laughs> starring... 50 Cent's not in this movie? Uh, not that I recall. Okay. All right. He does Sorry, not play... Do... He does not, in fact, play Christy Brown. I was I was really hoping. <laughs> I, I, I thought the acting job was superb, and I was saying, 50, man, look at this. Also, how, how old are you? <laughs> you gotta be no more than about 12 at this point. <laughs> a buck five. I don't even know what that is in terms of age. No, I feel like 50 Cent was probably like 45 in, in 1990, so he just... He wasn't 50 yet? No, <laughs> not quite. Okay, so anyway, the movie My Left Foot. Uh, again, directed by Jim Sheridan, uh, written co-written by Jim Sheridan and Shane, uh, Conno- Shane Connaughton. I thought you were going to say Shane Black for a sec. No. <laughs> uh, be a lot more guns in this movie. <laughs> starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Ray McAnally... Brenda Fricker, Cyril Cusack, Fiona Shaw, Hugh O'Connor, Adrian Dunbar, Ruth McCabe, Allison Whelan. So My Left Foot comes out in 1989. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis has done... He was in My Beautiful Laundrette, I believe, before that. Uh, he's also done a few like smaller roles, stage things. But this was like his first, I think, really, really big thing. Like, yeah, this he actually he's he was in another movie, two other movies, three other movies before... Four other movies before this, which we will cover on this podcast. One of which is one of them because that sounds like a Civil War movie. No, it is not. One of them is also an uncredited role as Child Vandal, so I doubt we'll spot him. But anyway, point being, the first major starring role is definitely this film. Mm -hmm. So Daniel Lewis. So Jason, in this movie about my left foot, Mm -hmm. what is this movie about? Well, it's not so much what this movie is about, but how it presents itself. So let's talk about that. And this movie presents itself by opening with a literal shot of a literal left foot, literally taking a record out of a literal record holder and literally putting it on a literal record player. Oh my god. And and you know what? I, I thought that that was a little obvious, and I thought, does this bode well for this movie, that it's going to be this obvious? And it turns out I was, I was just wrong. This is a great movie, and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> so what is this movie about? This movie's about Christy Brown, who is an Irishman who was an author and an artist who was born in Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, in the 1930s in <laughs> Dublin. You're going to say he was born a Republican Ireland. He was born a Republican in Ireland. <laughs> he had that Republican gene. He was always wearing a suit. He was the boss baby. <laughs> Voiced by Democrat Alec Baldwin. That's right. Uh, but uh, so, so 30s, this dude is born in Ireland. And uh, in the beginning of the movie, we see his dad wandering into the hospital after probably drinking and finding out that his son is... There's been, there's been complications, Yes, nurse says. And I don't think they get any deeper into it. And then he just leaves and goes back to the fucking bar. <laughs> and headbutts someone. And continues drinking. And then a guy... In, a guy who admittedly, insensitively and drunkenly is like, Oh, you got that kid! What you gonna do with a disabled kid? <laughs> and he headbutts him in the fucking nose. He he, he actually says, <laughs> I guess you got to tie it in a knot or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something, about exactly. to, something about not being able to use his penis for re- yeah. for procreation anymore. Yeah, so I mean, that was mean. And, and I think his dad was defending his, his child's honor by headbutting this guy. I think he was just embarrassed. Well, yeah, well yeah, I, you know what, Jason? Too. I don't want to ruin it right now. We'll because the dad is a very complicated character. 
character. He's a fascinating character. This whole film is interesting. And I don't want to jump the gun, so keep going. So, so yeah, that's enter aliens from space. So, so basically, what this is, this film is told in a series of flashbacks. I'm sure this is a device that will come back to numerous times. Because how many times have we had it? uh, We've had Doctor Zhivago. Zhivago was like English patient. English patient. And this. And this. We've done five movies. Zulu was straight up. And so was the Full Monty. The but Full we've Monty done five up. movies, Jason. And three, and three of them of are them. told in flashbacks. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, it's it's an Oscar bait technique, I suppose. I think I think that's that's a good point. Yeah. But the meta layer of this story, anyways, is that is that uh, we have Christy Brown, who's a young adult or an adult, anyways, and he is at a fundraiser um, where he's going to go on stage, and they're going to look at him and applaud his his uh, you know his novel and his art and everything, and celebrate who he is and the fact that he's disabled and. Um, so he's waiting out back to go on stage and he's put with a, a nurse. I don't know if it's ever explicitly said. I assume she was a nurse. I've seen her referred to as a nurse, but Maddie. she could have literally just been a person hanging out backstage and they're like, Hey, keep an eye on him. I'm pretty sure it's, it's a, it's a, make sure he out. doesn't die in his chair. It's Mary. Her name is Mary. Mary. Yeah. So Mary's, Mary's hanging out with, uh, hanging out with our, our hero and, uh, he manages to, uh, produce a copy of his recently published book called my left foot. Yes. And Mary, in a weird, in a weird, now, this is a weird situation. I understand this is the framing device for a movie, but can you imagine hanging out in a room with someone and they're like, hey, here's a copy of me book. Do you want to read it? And then you sit down and quietly sit there and read it while they stare at you. <laughs> and I know they make reference to that later on, but it just seems like a weird like a weird thing to do. Well, I think he falls asleep for a good portion of it. Yeah, he's probably falling asleep because he's, he's drinking, but we'll get to that. I mean, he's Irish, so... Again, what do we expect? <laughs> Again, everyone that's listening in Ireland... I don't mean to stereotype, hey, but let's be real. No, I was just going to say, everyone that's listening in Ireland, have another Have one. another drink, fellas. Yeah, lush. We're, we're, actually, we're having a little bit to drink tonight. What are we having to drink tonight, Brendan? A Sailor Jerry's and Pepsi. Sailor Jerry's and Pepsi. Now, I'm having uh, the Pepsi Max, uh, which is actually known now as Pepsi Zero, but it has extra caffeine in it. Because rum f- makes me sleepy, so I need the caffeine. The first time we've ever talked about what we were drinking on the show. And what so. are we smoking tonight, Brendan? We're smoking one of Proline's finest. All right, so legal in Canada, so you can welcome. Suck it. Come and visit us. We'll oh. sell you anything you want, or not suck it. What he said. Yeah, smoke it. Smoke. It. So back to this movie. Okay, let's let me get through this plot. All right, so there, there, she's in the room. She's reading the book. He's falling asleep, and she starts uh, reliving his life yep. through the magic of words. But because we are watching a movie, we have the ability to see it play out in front of us for our eyes. Thank God. Because otherwise we'd be doing a podcast about novels and it would be much longer. <laughs> so, yeah. So the he's born. Uh, uh, his dad is kind of pissed about it and headbutts the guy. Um, but then uh, he gets a little older. And we see that he's, you know, hanging out on the floor because he has cerebral palsy. Which they believe he is uh, mentally challenged. Yeah, they think he's mentally challenged. They don't they don't know how that goes. Uh, in the 30s. In the 30s, yeah. Which I think that's pretty accurate. Or I guess by the 40s by that point because he's got to be like 12, 13 easily. Yeah, I think he's like, yeah, yeah, he's about but, that age. But, uh, you know, cerebral palsy, I've known people with cerebral palsy and, and it, it has varying degrees of severity. And clearly the character here has very severe cerebral palsy. His hands are tensed up. He can't really use them. His mouth is tensed up. He well, is unable to really talk. Let me ask you something, Jason. What is the one body part that he can use? The one body part that is perfectly, well, not perfectly flexible, but but certainly the most flexible is his left foot. Have a drink. Woo! <laughs> so that he, he basically uses his left foot to push himself around, like on the floor, so he can kind of get around, scoot around on the floor. And he also can draw... Um, and make make things on the floor and whatever. And and at this point, his family who you know they love him and everything, but they don't 
they don't they can't really communicate with him very well because he doesn't have that ability. But he starts to learn how to how to communicate a little bit, and they still don't get him. Like there's a scene early on where they're having a conversation about a fraction. They ask what's a quarter of a quarter, and of course the father's like, quarter of a quarter. There's no such thing. You can't. It's already a quarter. You can't have a quarter of a quarter. And then the the girls like, well, no, Dad, that's uh, you can have a quarter of a quarter. And he attempts to draw. No, you dumb Irish stereotype. <laughs> dumb Irish stereotype. That's not possible. It is possible. But his his son then tries to draw. Clearly, tries to draw one sixteenth on the floor, but they can't make out the six, and they don't know what he's doing. I'm glad you said that because I honestly d- d- you I was get confused. That? Well, yeah. because I thought at first that's what he did, but then I was like, what is what is that? He was trying to draw the six, but he couldn't quite because he drew it backwards at first, and then he tried to erase it, and then he couldn't yeah. quite get it. So he, but basically we should say, yeah, he, he's been given, he has a piece of chalk yeah. and he writes and he has like a little chalkboard. Um, just, he just holds it between his big toe and his I think and they his basically just got it, just... got it formed in the hopes that maybe, you know. Yeah. 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 So he's, so, so he's starting to, you know, he has his own wheelbarrow. But so after that point, we see a scene where, uh, his mother is decided his mother now, by the way. Just props to Brenda. Was it Brenda Frick that plays Brenda mother? Fricker? She is so wonderful in this movie. She's so good and just such a supportive mother, but also just good in acting that role. Oh like, yeah, like just amazing! All the all the love. In I the mean, world you know, her. we're gonna talk a lot about Daniel Day Lewis in this movie, yeah. and but and but let's get this out like, of the way. And like, don't get us wrong, Daniel Lewis obviously phenomenal, but nothing ever gets said about Brenda Fricker, yeah, and she is so good as the mother, which is this. insane to me because like she's just as yeah. uh, strong. So at this point in her life, she's pregnant. And and because I think at the end we learned that she had had twenty two kids and thirteen of them survived. See, okay, I thought that they said that he was born in a hospital where twenty two where there were twenty two kids and no. thirteen survived. No, no, no. Because I was... I said you need to move <laughs> or repair that hospital. No, that was the unfortunate thing of even in the thirties, like okay. you know the, these big you know Catholic families and you just kids just mortality rate was just so much lower, especially because you know they were in a poor area, so hygiene wasn't as I mean, good as it could be. They don't believe don't believe in condoms, right? Catholics, yeah, yeah. yeah they I mean, were that, that's the thing. And, I'm not uh, saying all Catholics, but <laughs> hardcore, yeah. Well, yeah. So they had a lot of attempts, and they ended up having 13 kids by the end of it. Um, where was, oh yeah, so she's pregnant again, and so she decides to take uh, to take um, Christy upstairs uh, to go to bed. So she slings him over her shoulder, walks up the stairs, and gets a bit sweaty because you know it's hard lugging a kid around. And throws him on the bed, and then goes to go back downstairs, and then and collapses and falls down the stairs. Yeah. And so Christy hears this and decides he's got to help out. So he like throws himself down onto the floor, manages to use his foot to scoot out to the stairs, and then manages to like slide down the stairs, and then starts kicking at the door. I don't know why I'm doing it physically right now. I'm Nobody sure can see this. Jason. Nobody but Brendan can see this. <laughs> this is all and for the cameras. Me. And the cameras. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, screen and country, the movie <laughs> coming to a theater near you. That's right. So, but he manages. He's kicking at the door and manages to get the neighbor, uh, the neighbor's attention. And the neighbor comes in, sees what's going on, and calls the ambulance. And the mother is taken and, and put into care. Before we go any further, having not this was okay. I don't know about you, but this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. Me, me as well. Yes. Did you think the mother had died at this point? I really thought that was. Yeah, it. I really thought that that was probably going to be like the trauma of his life because we have we yeah. have expectations about what a movie about like um, a, a person you know is fighting a disability is up against and we'll get into this as we go but this movie subverts a lot of those a like, lot there were so many scenes <laughs> yeah. where I expected something based got, on based on what we've seen in these sorts of movies based on like cliches yeah. expectations and got something that I totally did not expect yeah. Th- this movie is not an inspirational story this movie is just kind of a story I would say it's inspirational but not sentimental yeah no uh, yeah okay yeah I would agree with that yeah. I, I think it's uplifting in a way but not not sappy, yeah. fake bullshit. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we've so so yeah. So his mother's saved, but in the, actually at the end of that scene, we kind of get the first. Again, my expectations are is that at some point they're gonna be like, "Yeah, this kid's a retard. See, you can't, you can't, you can't keep this kid around." I apologize for the use of that word, but I mean it was the '30s in Ireland. They probably would have said it scientifically. He is quoting what he expected to hear on the phone. Yeah, I was expecting that sort of stuff. And of course, that neighbor lady's like, "Oh, you poor thing. You can't think about nothing, can you?" And or, she calls him a dunce. Calls, oh, he's a dunce, isn't he? But yeah. uh, but that actually doesn't come up a lot. That comes no. up way less than I expected because most of the people around Christie seem to be like on his side. They seem to be rooting for him and want to help and support him. And, and I will say that um, early on you mentioned that the opening scene you were kind of like, oh no, this is kind of yeah. a little on the nose. <laughs> yeah. um, when he's, when those women, so after the scene where his mother gets taken into the ambulance yeah. and all these like uh, neighbor women are standing around, they're kind of making fun of him and stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, this, this is my moment of being like, oh, is this what's going to be? Everybody's going to be like, oh, he's so dumb. He's yeah. so dumb. And then he's going to do something crazy. And they're going to be like, oh my God, he's a hero. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my Irish accent is apparently that, a ghost. That was terrible. <laughs> it was a, it's an impression of a ghost. <laughs> a ghost Irish. Hold on. Let me, let me try again. Let me try. Yeah. Potato farming. There is that go. better? That's better. Okay. You're, you're right on the money. Okay. Ireland is pissed. Yeah, guys, we love all of Ireland. We love Ireland, and we believe that Ireland should be united. There, we've made a political stance, and we're going to lose the Northern Irish province. Wait, I should offset it. MAGA. There. Oh, God. Now we're even down. Oh, Jesus. Even keel. Where were we even now? I'm so lost now. You've just, you've rattled me. <laughs> okay, well, we, okay, so uh, Christy is, uh, Christy's mother gets sent off in the ambulance. Oh, wait, did you have anything else to say about those ladies? Oh, just that I was like, oh, is this where the going? And it, and it didn't, which I'm grateful for. Like you said, there wasn't a lot of the, oh, he's stupid, that kind of thing. Yeah. So at, at one point, they're like running Christy around in the wagon. All the kids in the neighborhood, like they uh, they have him out in his little wagon. That yeah, he has mom. like a wheelbarrow. Yeah, because they don't have money for a wheelchair. The mother's right. saving money, trying to get him a wheelchair, but uh, she hasn't got there yet. So they have this little wagon built for him, and they're pushing him around, and all the kids grab the wagon, and they're like, Christy, Christy, and they start running him around the neighborhood, and he's just loving it as they're running him around. And by the way, at this point, before we get too further, I have to make a special shout out to the young man that plays uh, um, him at that age, Hugh O'Connor. Yeah. Uh, who I, I, I looked up and is still acting. Who, by the way, I was ready to write off at first. Yeah, yeah. When he, he first I, shows up, when it first shot of him, and he's kind of like doing a little too much. Yeah, you, you feel like he's overacting the, the but, thing of it, but it actually he he gets it. It's a good it's a good performance. Yeah, he's very good. So, but yeah, so the boys at one point, so I so they run him around, and then he's hanging out with the kids, and then. At one point, the boys have a nudie mag. Now, this goes back to all of our childhoods. We've all found nudie mags. And this was the 30s in Ireland, so I have to imagine, or the 40s. So I imagine it was way more difficult to get a nudie mag, especially with the war on. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, ladies were making their nudes for the troops, not for the boys back home. Although, to be fair, Ireland wasn't in the war because they were neutral. But that's a whole other story that we can talk about on a different podcast. That's our World War II podcast yeah, World War where II Jason podcast. talks and I chime in with, uh-huh, uh-huh. sounds good. <laughs> wow, those Nazis sure were evil. But they're looking at this this magazine, and the woman has a glorious full bush, and they, uh, was it, his mom comes out looking for his brother? Yeah, they hide it under Christie. Yeah, so basically. they just, they shove it under Christie's butt in the wagon, and they take him home, and he gets ready to go to bed, and they pick him up out of the wagon, and the mom finds the nudie mag. And that leads to what I imagine for Christie is an awkward lecture from a priest. You know what? I had no idea that happened. 
Like you said, I know they put the magazine underneath him, but I didn't know. I didn't even realize her finding the magazine, and that's why they went to the priest. I was so confused yeah. why the priest showed up. And actually, Jason, because I was waiting that whole scene because I knew the magazine was under his ass, so I was waiting that whole scene for him to just get picked up and then her to notice the notice the magazine. Well, with that being said, I, I do want to play the priest scene. We might as okay. well play it here while sure. we're talking about it. So here's the scene. Uh, they find the new magazine. This is the priest talking to uh, Christy afterwards. Now, son, you know you can never get out of hell. You can get out of purgatory, but you can never get out of hell. Do you know that? Do you? Mrs. Brown. I don't think you should bring him to the altar just yet. You've been very helpful, Father. What did you know all about? Do you know about All Souls Night? Do I ever tell you about that? It's a really special night, you know, because every time that you light a candle on All Souls Night, and you have to say, five Our Fathers, and five Hail Marys, and five Glory Bees, right? And then a soul flies up out of the flames in purgatory and goes straight up to heaven. And I'll tell you why I included that whole clip, is because I think it's... Uh, Kind of beautiful after that. Absolutely. Even though she took him to the priest because she finds this, finds this nudie magazine, um, and he's, he he scares the hell out of him, mm-hmm. she also tries to bring him back to earth. Like, she, saying, like she's an embodiment, I guess, of the positive side of faith. Like whereas he's kind of the embodiment of the of the, the traditional, you know, Catholic, you know, uh, just guilt and disapproval. She's doing the positive end of it like oh you can send a soul to heaven if you just pray the right amount of prayers well and even here as we go on with the plot they basically get kicked out of the church yeah uh, and the, you hear the door lock and she turns to Christy and immediately is like see even God needs to lock his doors like she has a nice <laughs> she has a nice explanation for everything so he doesn't feel like a piece yeah. of shit she's such a wonderful so so good and then they see the fireworks go up into the sky and she says, that's your soul going to heaven. There's your souls going to heaven, Christy. Look. It's, look up in the sky. She's such a nice woman. She's wonderful. Uh, she does her best. What happens next, Jason? Uh, You're so early in this movie. I know. I, well, I wrote a lot of... Because I just like describing the scenes. Because what's, the plot of this movie, it's not so much a plot as it is this, this guy's well, life, let's just get right? through, <clears throat> let's, let's do like let's, let's get through like the bare bones of the rest of it and then get, kind of delve into let's it a little more. Let's see here. So we got that... Uh, well, so so his breakthrough moment as a person comes when he is lying on the floor and the family's all there and he starts drawing something and because and, and, they've been talking about triangles and he starts to draw something and it looks like a triangle but he draws the, the bottom line up high and they're like, no, Christy, this is a triangle and they draw it on the ground but then it's like, oh no, he wrote an A and then he goes over he, with great effort, grabs a, the chalk in his toe and then proceeds to write a word on the ground one letter at a time and then when he's done lying there in a sweaty pool, it just says mother. Mm-hmm. And they all realize that he's he's not dumb. He he know he can spell, he can write, like he can communicate. And they're so happy for him. So ha- his dad is so happy for this kid. He grabs him, he picks him up, he throws him over his shoulder, and he immediately runs down to his favorite place, the pub, the dirty Irishman, and takes him in. He's like, look at my son. He's a genius. He's my son. That's a brown. That's a brown. Which is their last name. He's not yeah. racist. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Unlike I, me towards Irish people. I still qu- I question the motivation uh, behind the father in, in that scene. I don't feel like it's... I, I feel like it's a re- moment of relief for him. Not it is a pride. moment of relief, but it also I think it's also pride too. 
I think know. it is relief, absolutely, because he's like, oh, good, he's, he can but at he, least talk. But he's very, like, I don't know, He fe- it feels like he's not really... I mean, he's not... He's such a complicated... You expect the father to just be yeah. abusive, bottom line, yeah. in this type of movie. But he's not. But he's, he's also, a little like... Bit. He, I mean, he is kind of, but more uh, emotionally yeah, than he, anything else. Yeah, he seems else. realistic. He's, like, he's, he's got emotional and some he, physical, but he's yeah. also... He, I think he does love his family, and he does that's the love thing. Christy. Well, that's the thing, and, like, it's very complicated, but... Mm. Um, I still feel in this scene like it's it's a little bit. It might be a little bit of both, maybe because like it feels like he's more relieved that he doesn't have a son that's mentally challenged. To well, me, that, I guess that's interesting how you feel in the moment because when I saw that scene in the moment, I felt like, oh yeah, great, his dad loves him. <laughs> his dad saw that he's not an idiot and he loves him. Yeah. So it played a little different to you, but that's cool. That's why we do this podcast, Brendan, because we're so different, us two white guys, and we can have our perspectives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, diversity is the name of this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Two white Canadian boys yeah. talking about British films That's what we with mostly do. white people. With mostly white people in them. <sighs> our next, our, we should do our next podcast on the uh, African Film Institute's top 100 films. <laughs> Wait, that's still the AFI. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it the AFI. No one will know. They'll be like, "What? That's on the list." <laughs> Paul Shear will sue us. It will be real bad. <laughs> yeah, it's a good. Well, we have to call it on spool because it's for the AFI. So sorry, guy. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so so, but that's that's kind of he realizes at that point, or they realize that he's smart, and he takes that opportunity and he starts drawing, like he actually starts using his his foot to draw stuff and and like to do paintings, mm-hmm. um, and he in the process by this point, uh, Hugh O'Connor has transformed into Daniel Day Lewis. Yes, that is. <laughs> he's seventeen years old. And does not look a day over 38. <laughs> I don't think he was that old. <laughs> no, he wasn't that old, but he kind of looked old. He did. He didn't look 17. But also, to be fair to Dan Day-Lewis, like, he's aged rather slowly over his career. I mean, he doesn't look... It's like his hair's grayer and he's slightly fatter, but he looks pretty much the same now. It's true. So, yeah, so he paints a picture for a girl he likes, uh, who hangs out down the road, and she hangs out with the mean girls, clearly. Uh, and so she gets this picture, and she initially thinks it's from his brother, but they point out the initials... And let's take a listen. Your beautiful eyes are splendid pools of blue. In whose depths I swim regularly. It's lovely, isn't it? Even signed it himself. CB. That's not Tom Brown. That's Christy. <laughs> Shirley knows what it's left for. You love Red She's love Red Can I speak to Christy Brown, please? Christy! Don't want it! Did you paint that? Can't take it. Sorry. What an ignorant, ungrateful bitch. He makes her this nice painting. And she doesn't even keep it. She could she could have said to him, like, oh, I'm not interested, but I really like to paint it, and I'll keep it on me wall. But she didn't, did she? No. Because uh, of her mean girl friends. Well, and, and, but she thinks it was from Tom Brown, one of his brothers, who yeah. I, th- I guess she has the hots for. 
He's the stud of the brothers. Yeah. Um, or the, I guess of the family, because there's one sister, right? I believe there's one sister. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so she basically rejects it right away because her friends are like, oh, you're going to be with an invalid, that whole thing. So I guess there's another example of the, but not, but never using the words, really. No. Like, not getting, it's very, like, it's very surprising how not a lot of this is problematic. Because mm. this is, like, a movie that's, 30 years old yeah. at this point there's not a lot of language that's kind of yeah i mean even in the full monty they were calling each other poofs you yeah. know what i mean like yeah no they were uh they were ahead of the game on this one but that's the thing it's like it's not about that it's uh no. it uh, doesn't need that right? so that's his first kind of rejection of love yeah absolutely yeah. and it, it breaks a little piece of his heart yeah now, baby, break another little piece of my heart now baby Take it! Take another little piece of my heart! I know you will! So... You know you want it! So his, his dad is a, is a gruff Irishman, of course, which means at some point he's going to lose his job, which he did. And money is tight, which it was. Uh, so Christy's forced to go to bed early one night because they simply don't have the coal to be able to burn so that they can stay up. It's too cold. And that makes Christy mad, or Christy mad because he wants to paint. Uh, so he comes up with a scheme, him and his brothers, and they basically fuck with the back of a coal truck so that when the coal truck drives away, it dumps all its coal all over the street and somehow the guy driving the truck doesn't notice. And they then grab as much coal as they can, but then also provide coal for the community. So they run home with their coal and they're all happy. They're like, look, we've got coal. And her mother's like, oh, that coal's a sin. You stole that, you thieving pricks. She didn't say that, but that's what I heard. The the uh, you're talking about uh, Christie's mother. Yes, Christie's mother. I mean, Who she's stole... a, she's a beautiful, wonderful woman, and of course, she's a woman of God. So the idea that they have stolen coal, she's like, no, we can't burn that. Are you but crazy? Of, but of course, I think the father supersedes that. And well, because because then we subsequently have a quick shot of the fire in full uh, burn. It's very much akin to a comedy uh, where you see someone saying like. Uh, Oh, I'm not going to New York. No, no way. No, no way. And then it immediately <laughs> cuts to them in New York. It's like, I love New York. That's yeah. not the song. That's actually I Love L.A. But they would cover it and get Randy Newman back in the studio. This in my fantasy. really specific. <laughs> uh, this is why we shouldn't drink when we podcast, Brendan. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the reason why we should. This is probably the best. Right. Is this the greatest episode ever? I think this is the best Vote episode now. we've done. Let's cheers on that. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> Yep. So they steal the coal from the truck. Everybody's happy except the mother. Um, so, but despite the poverty of the mother, she'd been saving money. She had squirreled away 28 pounds, which, you know, in 1930, I'm sure Irish pounds were, you know, worth as much as a potato. I think that was the exchange rate. It was tied to, it was bad. It was a potato backed currency. Uh, you in Ireland? This feud is raging on. I want nothing more than to visit Ireland. They are wonderful people, but I also love making fun of them because, you know, they're white people that I'm allowed to make fun of. That's true. I mean, because I'm Scottish, so I of descent. Oh. Scot sorry, Scottish descent. I've never stepped foot in Scotland. I've barely ever met a Scottish person, but... He doesn't even know what a Halifax is. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. I don't even know what that is. You literally just said that. <laughs> so, in, in, in their potato back currency, she had saved 28 pounds worth. Uh, squirreled away and uh, was going to buy a wheelchair and her so at some point the, the money container falls into the fire and it gets all hot and, and Christy yells at his mom because he knows that's the money container and the father does not so she grabs it and burns her hands and gets it out of the fire and he's like why would you do that burn your hands on that and in the fire and then he goes and looks at it and opens it up and there's money and, and he's very upset because they've been living in squalor. He's like, uh, we've been eating oatmeal, or we, we've been eating porridge for lunch and for dinner, and you had 28 pounds squared away. 
By the way, another scene where I expected he was going to nail her. Yeah, I thought he was just going to beat the fuck out of her. And right it doesn't happen. No, thing, it doesn't happen. Refreshingly, it doesn't happen. <laughs> he, he restrains himself. Yes. Um, but I guess he he must have some in some part of himself know that he was going to the wheelchair. Like, yeah, because yeah. how other, otherwise, how would they ever afford a wheelchair for the guy? Yes. Can't be in a wheelbarrow forever. But, so she finally is able to afford the wheelchair, and while she's buying the wheelchair, she comes across uh, Dr. Cole. I just noticed that Cole, is that intentional? I don't know, but Because, like, they, they, that was the thing that they needed for much of the movie, and this doctor's name is Dr. Cole. Do you suppose that, it, that Jim Sheridan is that on the nose? I don't know. I mean, he I did have the scene I... of the foot in the beginning with See, the left foot. I don't think it's on the nose, though. Yeah. And I guess, I just well, thought, I, well, to be I, fair, I didn't notice it until you pointed I it didn't, out. No, I don't even have a note about it. I just <laughs> literally thought about it when you said Dr. Cole. So they needed Cole, but now they need Cole. Now they, they needed Cole, and now they need Dr. Cole. And Dr. Eileen Cole. Dr. Eileen Cole with her boyish haircut and her smile that can launch a thousand crazy people into the ocean. <laughs> I have to assume that's what happens. Wow. Uh, played, of <laughs> course, by uh, Fiona Shaw. Fiona Shaw. Who was another solid performance. What else has she been in? Well, she was in the 1998 Avengers. Really? That's a I yeah, that's a terrible movie. Oh, she's in she's in the Harry Potter movies as Petunia Dursley. Oh. Oh shit, dog. Petunia Dursley, dog. I knew she looked familiar, dog. And she's also in the greatest Brian De Palma film of all time, The Black Dahlia. Oh, I thought you were going to say Snake Eyes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> she, oh, she, apparently she's also in the uh, the Tree of Life. But you know what? This isn't the Fiona Shaw cast. This isn't the Fiona Shaw cast. I'm, I'm glad to know that she played uh, the Dursley woman, though. That's yeah. That's cool. Because uh, she's great in that movie. And, it, and don't forget Black Dahlia. <laughs> and Black Dahlia, obviously. Coming soon, I'm over there thinking. <laughs> so she meets Fiona. Not Fiona, Dr. Cole. <laughs> she, Fiona plays Dr. Cole. Yes. She meets Dr. Cole, and Dr. Cole uh, wants to have a chat with um, uh, Christy because she runs a cerebral palsy clinic. And they have a chat. He decides to go, but he's there. He's getting, like, worked over by the by the nurse who's, like, stretching him out. And he's like, I don't like it very much. I want to go home. He doesn't like it because there's kids and he feels like a child. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't want to be around all these kids, so he rolls home. And Dr. Cole <laughs> offers to give him some. You have to say he rolls home. <laughs> Well, he's got the chair now, so he rolls home. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and but Doctor Cole shows up and offers to uh, offers to give him some private lessons. I'm your private dancer. Do what you want to do. Um, yeah. So she and she starts working with him, and then also gets him in contact with an art guy who can set up an exhibition of his works. Peter. Peter. This whole th- working with him thing is kind of like a miracle worker montage. Yeah. It's like and, it's only a small part of the movie, and the idea is that you get Brenda Fricker doing uh doing some some of her trademark great acting in this movie. As she, uh, suddenly, I think you mean uh, Fiona Shaw. No, no, I'm oh no, about, you're, oh, you're talking about I'm, the I'm mom. talking about Brenda Fricker. Okay, um, she does some of her trademark great acting in this movie because she could tell this is not going well, even though it's going well, and he's getting better, and he's able to talk better, enunciate mm-hmm. better. She knows that he is feeling stuff for yeah. this person not just as a teacher and she's like this is not going to end well she's like i can hear it in his voice you hear some sound that i don't like i don't remember what the line was it's but very you... yeah it's it's yeah yeah it's something along those lines she can hear it in his voice that she knows something's going down and i mean he's through this he's starting to become more worldly yes like he's starting to meet people he's starting to he's talking better so he's communicating with more people he's starting to enjoy the occasional drink um yeah occasional occasional um so, but the problem is, with it is, is that yeah, he's falling in love with this doctor, and 
you know, we'll it, talk about the art exhibit. You were going to talk about. Well, is, I mean, the art exhibit is the art exhibit. The, the is is art starting up. to be displayed? His art is starting to be displayed. People are noticing He's it. He's getting money. He's getting money. Yeah, yeah. and uh, quite a bit. They're going up to dinner after the exhibition, and Brendan has a clip. I do. Um, so Brendan, this you, is... you brought a clip with you, Brendan. Would you like <laughs> us to show it? Uh, would like Can me to set, set it up? up? Well, this is uh, this is my latest movie. I'm in. It's called <laughs> My Left Foot. I could be like Paul Rudd and just play Mac and Me clips. Yes. <laughs> no. This is uh... yeah. So this clip is uh, like you said. They're all at dinner. This is after the art exhibit. Um, Christy is finally ready to tell I, Dr. Cole how he feels, and this is a very uncomfortable scene um but i mean i should set this up because this is a little later into the scene but basically he says he loves her and then he's and then he realizes her kind of bug-eyed reaction this is not probably not the best thing to say so he just kind of goes i love everyone yeah and then he says even peter and she says well that's great because we're engaged to get married in eight months and And he dies inside and you can see it you, just, you, can, you can feel it. Daniel Day-Lewis lets his own soul collapse. And Christy um, asks her a question here, and it just kind of goes from here. Why did you say you love me? Because I do love you. Oh, you mean platonic love. I've had nothing but platonic love all my life. Do you know what I say? Fuck Platon! Fuck, I love this not a hundred percent commitment. So this is his ultimate breakdown. Yeah. This is a, I think this is the and just, hardest scene. Just in case you didn't catch it, he says, <clears throat> "I've had, I've had, I've had so much of this platonic love, and you know what I say? Fuck Plato." Yeah, because I mean, he's he's obviously platonic love for his mother. Yeah, uh, his family. His sister, who we didn't really talk about a lot, but there is a strong connection there too. Um, his uh, Rachel, yeah, because she feels bad for mm-hmm. him. She doesn't actually love him, and so many people. And he's just he wants he wants to be loved like everybody else is loved. That's the thing, and, and people, and that's it's reinforcing that thing that we often forget that disabled people are just like everybody else. They just want to get their dicks wet. <laughs> everybody wants that. No matter yeah. who we are, well, no I mean, matter unless you're what female. level we are. Unless you're female, you don't want to get your dick wet. Well, she wants to... Well, females want to get... Wet. I should say... Uh, let's say some some females want to get dicks wet. Some females want to do whatever else. It's okay. Yeah. I'm for all sorts of sexual exploration. You be you. That's what, I'm, that's what I say to the listeners. Let's, let's start exploring sexually, Brendan. On the podcast. <laughs> the we'll next, be a first. The next 20 minutes are just me and Jason going at it. <laughs> And squirt, we're back. All right, it was a good time. Thank you, Brendan. We've made history today. So, where were we in the movie? (laughs) This is the fun part of the podcast, isn't it? Isn't this silly? Uh, So, Doctor Cole. So, yeah, obviously, there's some shit happens, and it doesn't. And then he eventually is, I guess, stormed out by Peter. He's rushed. He's given the bums rush because the waiter. God bless the waiter. He keeps screaming, "Serve or whiskey!" And the waiter pours it for him, even yeah, though he, everybody he's... else is saying, "Don't serve him wicker." The waiter's like, "Nope." He said he wanted it. I'm gonna pour it for him. He's drunk off his. He's ass. drunk as shit. Drinking yeah. whiskey, drinking wine, drinking all that shit. And eventually, yeah, Peter has had enough of his bullshit and grabs his chair and wheels him out of the restaurant. And I assume throws him into the street where he's hit by a car and the movie's over. <laughs> nope. Is that not where it ended? That's nope. where it ended for me. No, it's not. I thought this is weird that this movie was only an hour and five minutes long but and then we have a suicide attempt because it wouldn't be a good you know autobiographical movie without a suicide attempt and you know what i give him credit i get gotta give him points for for just ambition 
but I really didn't think he would have much of a chance of slitting his wrists with his uh, with his foot. This... As, as dexterous as he is with that foot, I don't know that he was that flexible. This is a part I want to criticize a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna play the music during the scene. Okay. okay. funny because when i watched the scene the music didn't stand out to me but listening to it in isolation it's like what the fuck kind of movie did they think that it was like very like almost halloween or like some like 80s horror movie kind of sounding yeah i don't know how i feel about that choice that was um, weird that's one thing I, i'm not 100 percent on board with i don't think <laughs> it's a weird score choice yeah maybe the, i mean they could have just played that whole scene without music and that's what i was thinking yeah. they would they should have done yeah but needless to say, because again, the movie's not over in an hour and ten minutes, so um, he's he's uh, he, he survives the suicide attempt. Now he left a note. What did the note say? Oh god, I, I didn't remember. write it down. It was like all things must die. I don't know. But he wrote down a rather depressing thing that was probably a quote he stole from somebody, uh, like any sort of person committing suicide at a young age might do. Um, but he doesn't do it, thankfully, and we appreciate him for that. But his mom. His mom, bless her heart, she just knows that he is such a good artist and a good painter, and he hasn't been doing it because he's been in this depressive funk, doesn't want to talk to anybody. So he's in his room, and she goes outside, and she's like, he's got a piece of string up, and she's digging a trench, and he sticks his head out the window, like, what are you doing, Mom? And it turns out that she's like, well, I'm building you a room, because if you have your own room, then you can get back to painting. And he's like kind of weird about it but then he goes downstairs and he like comes out and joins her and starts mixing up some some mason what do you, what do you call that shit uh uh not masonry masonry is the bricks it's the shit in the mortar she's mixing up mortar because her husband's a bricklayer and god damn it she knows how to mix a mortar yeah and uh at this point is when the uh the father who we we said was laid off earlier, right? Yeah, he was laid off. Um, yeah. he comes home with the he's there with the boys. He's like, "Listen, I'll put this room together for you. Don't even worry." Well, they they even gotta make fun of him for it. Like, "Oh, look at this, the woman and the cripple trying to build a room. Yeah, Isn't yeah, that yeah. funny? Well, we'll help out with you." So he builds the room, and this is kind of his last moment. Yeah, yeah. They they're they're kind of like the boys are competing with the dad, and the mom says to them, "Let your father win. He needs this," and then he does, and he's like, "Oh, it'll be day before my boys surpass me." you know but yeah it's kind of his last moment because shortly thereafter they the mom finds him like passed out in in the backyard and she can't get the door open so she uh, um christy comes over he sh- shuffles over and manages to push the door open and the poor guy's dead he's dead he's dead so instead of a funeral scene what do we get we get a we get a wake scene in a bar in a bar because dirty irish people <laughs> i love you ireland seriously i love you don't take it personally i love you so, of course, they're having the, the wake in the bar, and we are witness to what I have to say, Brendan, is one of my favorite 
barroom brawl scenes in a movie. It, yeah, it's uh, it's unexpected. It's one of those subvert your expectations moments, yeah. but it's a good moment. They're all hanging out, and there's this guy at the bar, and he's talking about uh, he's oh, he's mad that he's mad that uh, Christy started singing a song. And you know Christie's Christie's voice is it's tough. He's straining, but he can speak. But he goes, he's not the greatest singer in the world. But he starts singing this song, and somebody, and this dude with his mustache and this dumb face is like, "Oh, why don't you shut him up?" And then everybody starts singing the song with them, and then he starts talking shit about Christie's dad. So Christie wheels over there and starts talking shit back to him, and then just full on roundhouse kicks the drink out of his hand. Yeah, <laughs> with his left foot, <laughs> his full on smacks the drink out, and everything explodes. <laughs> and there is a bar fight, and the guy like runs Christy out of the bar on his thing, and then runs him back in, and then everybody's fighting, and the fucking one guy gets in and grabs the cash, and he's like, "Drugs are on house tonight," the and then poor, somebody throws a chair at him. The and poor bartender. Poor bartender, man. He didn't expect that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he should have expected that. I mean, it's a regular night in Ireland, but I'm gonna get a letter, aren't I? Yes, you are from Mister from the Irish American from Kathy Ireland. From Kathy Ireland. <laughs> Stop besmirching me name. <laughs> I don't think she's Irish, is she? No, I don't think so. I think she just has the last name Ireland. Yeah. So he decides he wants to write. Uh, he wants to write a book, and he lists his brother to give him a hand, but then he also like types it out with his toe. He's able to type it out one letter at a time, hunt and peck, much as I do with my fingers. This guy does it with his toes. Good for him. Maybe I'd type faster if I used my toes. I don't know. Um, and eventually he reconciles with Dr. Cole. They kind of get over their their shit and they kind of you know establish a little relationship again and she asked him to do a fundraiser and that brings us back to where we started baby back where we started Uh uh-huh healing go around again Uh uh-huh i don't know that song just do the end just do the end okay okay uh yeah so and he's at the fundraiser and he's been he's been kind of over the course of the movie when we occasionally would dip back to them he's been kind of flirting with mary uh his nurse uh you know, just working his magic because he, he is a charming fellow. Do we want to hear him flirting with Mary? Yeah, let's hear him flirting with Mary a bit. And you get a sense of how, how his game works. Don't worry, Christy. The book is great. It's not bad. Do you know what I was going to call it? What? The reminiscences. Reminiscences. Of a mental defective. That's a terrible title. It was my blue period. And you typed all of it with your left foot? I didn't do it with my nose. I really wanted to finish it. You'll hear it later. I have an appointment, I told you. Is he good looking? Who? Your appointment. Yeah, in his own way, he's nice. It doesn't matter to me. You can meet who you like. Where is he now? What? Is he good looking? Yeah. I'm in love with him. You're very bloody nosy, Christy Brown. I was only asking. 
so this is the tactic he's been using. He's using that charismatic humor of his to, uh, you know, to endear her or whatever. He's very charming. He's very charming, but at, at, at a certain point, it, it transitions from charm to <laughs> straight-up brow-beating. Aggressive. Aggressive brow-beating, wearing her down, and basically just, just wearing her down to convince her to, to go out with him tonight instead of the other guy. And, you know, she's kind of wavering on it, and he just gets angrier and angrier. And not even really that angry, but like, but like aggressive, you know? Yeah. It's weird. It, it's a weird thing to see, but you know what? It works. Here's the thing. <laughs> I will debate the fact that she even had an appointment. Yeah. Because you, my thinking in this scene... You think scene, she's just fucking with him? No. I she's don't even, back. I don't even think she's messing with him. My opinion in this scene is she's afraid to do something like this. I mean, as bad as it sounds, I'm not saying she's prejudiced. Mm. But I'm saying she might have second thoughts about being with someone who's uh, in that situation yeah. that Christy Brown was in, and I think she's using this as a as a as a get out move, yeah. uh, an evasive well an evasive maneuver. Because I don't think she cancels any appointment. I think she, he finally just convinces her, like, "Well, what are you gonna where are you gonna be? Like, what, why don't you just have a drink with me?" And I think she just finally says, "You know what? I'm just gonna have a drink with him." Yeah. Which, of course, we learn at the end of the film. He's an alcoholic. <laughs> yes, we learned that they 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 were married. They were married and lived happily ever after. Well, I will talk about that later. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. Uh, well, actually, well, that's the, the end of the I movie. I was gonna say there's not much more to it. He than does that. his speech. They, the old does, guy reads. The old his guy book. reads part of his book. He stands up there on, or well, doesn't stand. He sits there. He sits there on stage. They say nice things. He brings his mom. His mom and him have a nice moment. Uh, and then he, uh, everybody's getting ready to leave, and they're like, come in the car, Christy, it's sweet! And he's like, no, I got a date, fuck off! And then they all laugh and take away, and drive away, and he goes out with the lady. They go out to some place on, on the water, on the coast, near a lighthouse. Uh, she walks up to the lighthouse and takes her shoes off, and then walks back down. And she's like, look at me, I've got a left foot too! And he's like, I knew I'd love you! And the movie ends. Does that happen? No, not at all. Okay, <laughs> that's just what I saw in my head. The left foot part didn't happen. The rest, <laughs> the rest part, the rest of the part happens. Um, and then they were married in 1972 and lived happily ever after. Well, okay. So here's the thing. I was gonna say that for a bit later, but since we're talking about it right now, so at first Christy Brown actually had an affair with a married woman named Beth Moore. Uh, she actually helped him finish his second book, which was called Down All the Days. She was a big fan of because he had got some fame at this point. And she was a bit, obviously a big fan of his first book, My Left Foot, as per the title of the movie. Um, so she eventually, you know, they end up sleeping together or whatever. Like you do. Yeah. And she actually helped him to abstain from alcohol. And well, basically... abstain from alcohol in the sense that she would make him write and deny him booze until the day was over. Uh... Yeah, but yeah. like basically <laughs> took yeah, but basically made sure he wasn't being he wasn't an alcoholic. Yeah, um, or managing. Well, it's it more like she was managing his alcoholism by only letting him drink when he was done his work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So here's the thing, though this uh, this doesn't last. No, he has an he has another affair with a woman named Mary Carr, who is portrayed in this film as his uh, caregiver while he's giving a speech. This is not a happy fairy tale ending because Mary Carr was allegedly uh, abusive. In the in the sense that she didn't beat him, but she was very um, very open to his. She also was abused alcohol and mm. drugs and all that. And apparently, she was a prostitute to both men and women, um, and used that to kind of pay the bills. Yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do to earn a bill. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, well, I mean, when you have a husband, maybe. Well, maybe let him take a cut. <laughs> So you so you advocate him being her pimp? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not saying he has to go do the work. I'm saying he should just get a cut. 
So here's the thing. This is so crazy. So there was a book called uh, Christy Brown. I almost said Clancy Brown. Christy (laughs) Brown. Christy Brown, The Life That Inspired My Left Foot, uh, written by Georgina Hamilton. And basically, Georgina Hamilton found out that figured found out that a lot of people thought Mary Carr should even go as far as to be accused of possibly manslaughter. Yeah, that's how bad it was. The relationship. He said, "You know, I'm not blaming the film. Like they obviously didn't want to end on that note. Yeah, that was a, a very, bad way to end a movie. A downer of a note. It's just unfortunate that she will, will always be thought of by a lot of people as being this loving woman mm. when." When there was bruising on his body after he died, and they think she may have been the one that caused it. Like, yeah, like quite obviously, she was probably not a good uh, a good thing. But let's talk about so let's talk a little bit about the background of this movie. So in 1954, Christy Brown, the man with cerebral palsy, portrayed by Daniel Day Lewis and uh, Hugh O'Connor. Yes. Um, in 1954, he writes the book called My Left Foot. It's obviously it's an autobiography about his life, how he lived with cerebral palsy. And, you know, uh, we talked about how no one knew for 10 years that they thought he was just mentally challenged. I'm sure they used much more problematic words at the time. Probably. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and, and, and so what attracted Daniel Day-Lewis to this movie was one scene. One scene in the movie. And it's the opening scene, which Jason said earlier gave him bad vibes. Um, do you, are you saying you don't like the scene at all? Or are you well, saying, nothing, it's are not you that saying, I don't like, like the scene. Out of context, that, maybe. It just, it seems that it just seems really on the nose. On the movie nose. called My Left Foot to a, on the, the very first thing they show is some dude's left foot doing something. On the foot, as you would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. A little on the foot. A little on the foot. <laughs> a left on the foot. Um, so you're saying, but, okay, so, so anyway, this it just made scene, me go, really, is this, is this really this Oscar Beatty of a movie? And then it started, and then I watched it and was like, oh no, it's just a good movie. Oscar Beatty, of course, the brother of Warren Beatty. Yes. <laughs> My favorite. He's twin brother. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. But anyway, the first scene, he was, Daniel Lewis was attracted to the very first scene. So he grabbed the script, he read like 10 pages, and he was like, I'm in. Uh, he was attracted to the very first scene because it's obviously it's Christie's left foot putting a record on the turntable, picking the needle up, putting it down again, skipping, and all that stuff. And Daniel Lewis said, pretty much said, that can't be done. Like, that scene cannot be done. And that's why he said, that intrigued me. And he he did weeks of practice to, to get that to get that scene. Um, he spent eight weeks with cerebral palsy patients living in the hospital, being with them day to day. He nailed this scene on the first take. Yeah. Now here's the thing though, and we talked about it before we started recording, Daniel Day Lewis could not do anything with his left foot. No. <laughs> so in fact, all of the scenes you see, which I don't think there was a double, I think this is all Daniel Day Lewis doing. No, it looks stuff. like the same foot throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Cause I don't think you can mess with that. But Daniel Day Lewis is using his right foot. And all the scenes are shot, you're seeing the reflection in the mirror. Which is insane. Yeah. All those shots are in the mirror. You know how hard it is to shoot in a mirror. Yeah. Like, that's that's, that's crazy. Thing. And then having to build, like, give you, I don't know, I, I didn't notice in the record scene if there was writing on the record. But if there was, then you need to have that reversed so that it looked look fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember if there was or not. Uh, so, I mean, let's dive into this movie. I mean, we did quite a bit already, but let's dive into this movie more. Mm-hmm. I wrote down all the heart and soul of this movie is in his left foot. Yeah. And it's true. He does all of his acting, most of his acting is in his left foot yeah. because Daniel Day-Lewis in this movie is playing a man with cerebral palsy. He has to be constantly obviously shifting around mm-hmm. and like moving and like he can't do a whole lot. It's a very like difficult performance because oh, yeah. you don't want to overplay it. You don't want to underplay it. You got to find that just that that right Note. And a lesser actor, this would have been into simple Jack territory. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I would argue this might be the best performance of a, uh, in a movie we've covered so far. Yeah. I, I think. 
It has to be, right? Now, to be fair, now nowadays, if we were going to make this movie, we'd probably try to find an actor with cerebral palsy to, uh, yeah. to play the role. Now, to be fair, there's Perhaps, probably, I, know, but I can't I mean, imagine there's a lot, but... But, I mean, we still get we still get things like Sean Penn. We still oh, yeah. get, we still get like, I mean... This that was also the, 15 years ago. I mean, yeah, this is also the <laughs> 90s when you say Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump, but I think these are also, I think it's a, it's a, it's a portrayal that's... Um, oh, it was a, I think, I, I, I'm not a person with cerebral palsy, so I can't say, but as a, just as a viewer, it seems like it was a very respectful and accurate portrayal of what, it, of what, a, having, having very strong cerebral palsy would be like. And, and I mean, I was going, I was planning on playing a clip of the real Christy Brown talking, but you know, unfortunately it is very difficult to understand at times. And there wasn't a whole lot of them mm-hmm. out there. Cause he, he obviously didn't want to do a lot of interviews. Yeah. He was very, uh, but, but it's pretty close. And even yeah. the movements, they're pretty close. Like he, uh, of course, Christy Brown was passed away before this movie came out. Um, about seven years before, I think. It was 1981 he passed away, and this movie was nineteen. Yeah, so eight so. years. Eight years before the movie comes out. I think seven years before they start filming yeah. it or whatever. But yeah, but it's 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 fairly close to uh, to the real thing. Now, so I want to talk a little bit, like we, like I said, we kind of deep-dived on our way through, but mm-hmm. uh, which is fine, but I want to get into a little bit more. So at the beginning, at the beginning, this whole thing, not the flashbacks, but mm-hmm. the kind of wraparound story yeah. where he's at this benefit, uh, Christy Brown, did you think that, like they were all? It didn't feel like nice. Like it almost felt like they were putting them on display. Yeah. To make them to kind of feel better about themselves. All these rich old people, uh, basically having him at this fundraiser for you know cerebral palsy. Mm. But it feels very like like even um, when Christie shows up to this to this thing, they put him in a room. Yeah, they put him in a room off to the side, away from everyone, until kind of it's his time to sit out there while the old man uh, who's running it—I forget his name—but while the old man like reads portions of his book, Mm. which I also thought was weird that he was reading it. Like, I get Mm. that he wants to read it so everyone can understand; it's a little more clearer. But it still was weird to me that he was reading the book, and also, so when he shows up, the one thing that really stood out to me. Uh, Christy Brown uh, shows up. The old man says, "Welcome," and he's like, "To your humble abode." <laughs> like he kind of says sarcastically, and the old man still kind of looks intrigued. Like, yes, yeah, to my humble abode. The very next scene, you see the old man out in front of everyone, and he says, "Welcome to my humble abode." <laughs> he takes the line from Christie. Yeah, he plagiarizes him right there. It's just, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, I I see what you're saying, but at the same time too, it, it, it's a combination of putting him on display, but also the cynical extraction of money for a good cause. I don't know what the fundraiser yeah. was for. Was it for cerebral palsy? I'm, I'm, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it was, it, he was there to help get money out of the rich people. And I'm sure he did. I mean, it'd be weird if it was for rectal warts. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I just want to help out with whatever I can. But, um, and we get, okay. So throughout this movie, Christy, I find like he has the strongest relationships. This is weird to say, but it, I think it makes sense. He has the strongest relationships with females. Mm. The, the biggest attachment is his mother, yeah. obviously. She's very matronly. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very protective of him, but at the same time, she doesn't baby him. No. Um, which I think uh, he kind of imprints that on every kind of female he meets. Because every female he meets, other than his sister, obviously, yeah. but every other female he meets, he tries to romantically link to them. I mean, you mean to get, fuck them. Yeah, I think he just wants love. I think he wants no. I think he wants love, love, but I think he wants to get his dick wet. I mean, the real Christy Brown did so. Yeah. Kudos. That's right. Um, but, Good job, uh, Christy. But I mean, you get Rachel. 
so they're playing spin the bottle. You get Rachel who mm-hmm. gives him a kiss on the cheek because she feels bad. The bottle lands on him. Everybody's like, oh, you got to kiss Christy. And she does it because she's not a garbage person at yeah. that point. And then um, everybody like celebrates that fact. Yeah, yeah. With, with the, the brothers, all the family... Yeah. Very supportive. All oh, the brothers and the sister, they're great. They're not doing the stereotype like one. Like the brothers are all like, oh, he's dumb. They're not doing that bullshit. Everyone's loving. Everyone's great. That's why I don't find the movie overly like sentimental. The, the I only, feel like it's more realistic. We didn't mention it, but the only moment where the father comes close to being a, a stereotype, like a total stereotype, is when the daughter comes home and tell and they tell. Her, him that she's pregnant. So this is a big scene. I want this is a big scene. So that's why I was talking about the relationship between him and the women. Um, so of course Rachel, like I said, uh, the mother obviously. Uh, Mary later on, even Mary later on says, "I'm not your mother." Yeah. Which <laughs> and then Doctor Cole has a line, and or sorry, he says to Doctor Cole after she turns him down. He says, you're not my mother and you never will be. Mm. So it's all about like, it's all coming back to oh, his yeah. mother. After, he, after she's like, you should quiet down or something. When yeah. He's shouting and he's like, after, you're not my mother and you never will be. And, and that's almost like him saying, I'm done with you. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not in the, into this anymore. But, um. Because <laughs> you're not my mother. Because <laughs> you're not my mother. Well, I mean, it could be, let's Freudian thing. Yeah, who knows? Uh, what, so, what, sorry, what, I want to get back to that main point you were making there. About the, uh, the scene we didn't talk about. The, uh, the. The sister. The sister coming home pregnant. I think that's a scene. So the sister, the sister comes home. You, I mean, you see a little hints of that because she's sneaking out. Yeah. She's coming back late. The father's not really approving of that. She comes in at one point and basically she's already spoken to Brenda Fricker, the mother, and she says, "Everybody get upstairs. Like we have to have a conversation." And we find out that the daughter is pregnant. And we and, find that out by her saying, "Your daughter's getting married." Yeah, your daughter's getting married it, on Friday. He's like, "Oh, that's wonderful. When on Friday? Why so soon?" He says. Said because she's pregnant. She's pregnant. Oh well, isn't that wonderful? I suppose this is my fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think we actually hear him hit her. Yeah, yeah. We can hear the slaps off screen. Yeah. Which is when it. Which is again when I was watching the movie. I'm like, oh, okay, now he's turning into the abusive. But that's it. That's, that's the that's only it. thing and, we well, get. And we see and we see Christy go fucking bananas as far as like so, mad about it. So this is my thing. So because he's so protective, Christy is also protective of his mother and other obviously female figures because they treat him so warmly. Yeah. The only one that doesn't I think is that townswoman that kind of calls him a dunce or whatever. Yeah. But he said he basically is like I'm going to fucking kill him like he's so pissed. Yeah. And that's like that and then she eventually leaves. The sister eventually leaves mm-hmm. uh, the home to go live with her new husband. The other scene I want to mention while we're talking about scenes we didn't talk about yep. was the money scene. So they, uh, so Christy had gotten an advance, I think, or something from his book from My Left Foot because he had started writing it. Yes. And he had 800 pounds in cash. And he took it and him and his brother put it in his mom's money tin. And so they're having supper and, every, and they're all just like sitting around having supper like normal. And everybody else knows what's going on, but the mom doesn't. And Christy starts going on like, what do we have for dessert, Ma? What do we have for dessert? And she's like, dessert, come on. There's no dessert. And they're like, What do oh. you think this is? The, the What do you think this is, the Ritz? Yeah. And they're like, oh, Ma, go get us some ice cream, some of that Neapolitan. Just go get some for us. And she's like, oh, well, all right, I'll get it for you. But this isn't the usual thing. And she goes and opens up her money tin and looks at it and looks shocked. And they all start fucking laughing. And it's like, where did this come from? It's from Christy. Yeah, and she's of course she does the mother thing, and she, well, she doesn't want it. She doesn't want it. She's like, what? What am I going to do with this? And he's like, well, first thing you should do is go and get a dress and some new shoes, which sounds kind of bitchy if when I say it like that, but actually is really sweet. It, it's basically do something for yourself. Yeah, do something nice for yourself because you never get it. Jason, 
the movie we covered last week had a scene exactly like this. Where we told somebody to go get a new dress? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Where a child is willing to give money to their parent. The parent doesn't want to accept That's it. That's right! The full Monty. It all comes full circle, ladies and gentlemen. This is what you pay the big bucks for. Oh, for this We're free... charging for this, right? <laughs> for this free podcast. Yeah. Oh, no, it's free? What am I even doing here? <laughs> Patreon. You have to sign up for the $25 a month oh, level. I got you. <laughs> no, no. Um, I want to talk about two... So, I want to talk about the scene with Rachel. So, this girl that kisses him on the cheek because she feels bad... He gives her a picture. She thinks it's from the brother. She's embarrassed by her friends because, you know... Mean girls. Mean girls. They uh, they make her feel bad about it. Did you notice the reference to it later? Very quick. It's very, very quick. No, I don't know. So the, mother, so the mother is flipping through the photo album, showing, uh, showing I think, Dr. Cole, showing yeah. her different photo, different art that he's done. The picture that he gave Rachel is there, but it's broken it's in pieces. It's ripped into four pieces, yeah. And it's not dwelled on. No, she just, just you see it, and then she flips to the next page. I was yeah, like, "Oh, that's such like, a heartbreaking I mean, detail." Yeah, that's beautiful. That's that's a script where guess what? You didn't just say we, we didn't need a line with the mother saying, "Oh, that's the picture he drew for oh, Rachel," and then he ripped it up because she denied him. That's the picture for when he got his heart broken that time. Oh, he was so he was so sad. It's just such a quick, like, like devastating blow. Mm. <laughs> so I want to talk about obviously another big part is uh, him and Doctor Cole. Christy and Dr. Cole. So he obviously, he starts to feel stuff for her. And as soon as he does, I don't know about you, but I was like, oh, this is not going to end well. Well, it seemed like, it it was one of the more like things like, oh, he's going to be with a woman, so he's going to fall in love with her. And yeah. Yeah, I I like, you just get the feeling. And right away, you get hints of that. Again, Brenda Fricker, she is fucking phenomenal in Mm -hmm. this movie. Because you get them going to the art exhibit to showcase his work. And even there, you're seeing the looks on her face. And the father, Ray Ray McAnally, Let's not leave him out because he's also terrific in this movie. And you can see on their face, they like he's uncomfortable mm. because this is a different world. Yeah. This is like rich people yeah. or like artists, creative types. The, he's, the a man's, he's a he's, he's a bricklayer. He's probably never been within three miles of an art gallery in his life. No, the man's a bricklayer. Yeah. Even we even have a, a kinda a little bit on the nose, but like when he says, you know, do you want to come out for dinner? And that's the dinner we talked about where he has his freak out. And she says, your dad would never touch anything but a pint. You know that. Like, you know, he's not the kind of guy to sip wine. But she, when you look at her face, you could tell she's uncomfortable and she's also worried. Yeah. Because she sees that he is looking at Dr. Cole in a way that is not going to end well for him. And she sees that Dr. Cole is, uh, and Peter obviously have a thing. Yeah. And... Christy doesn't quite catch on to that. But she's also, you know, the type of mom. She doesn't want to, like, stick her nose into it to, you know. She's almost trying to, like, gently ease him in the right yeah. direction, but not aggressively. Yeah. She is a wonderful parent. She she, is, yeah, she's a great parent. She is another, like, really strong female character. Much like I, I thought um, the woman who... Pl- this sounds terrible. I'm talking about strong female characters, and I cannot name her. Yeah. But the woman who played Mark Addy's wife in last week's yes. movie, The Full Monty another example of just like a really strong female character where you wouldn't expect one. Mm-hmm. And she's her own person. She's not just there to care for Christy. Like she's yeah. also her own fully fledged character. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We got to talk about the father. Yes. Cause the father is a very complicated character. You call him Ray McCallie. Was that, his I think name? Ray McAnally is his name. When I saw which, it in the credits, I read it as Rand McNally. So uh, I thought you were going to say Ray McAnal. <laughs> so I'm giving you credit for not taking that route. It's funny. You mentioned that he's one of my favorite porn stars. Ray McGainel. I like You know what he does best? Blowjob porn. That's weird. Yeah, it's strange. It's very ironic. (laughs) 
I, I, I like Roy McGainal. <laughs> the McGainal brothers are my favorite, but Roy's obviously... Roy and Ray McGainal. Roy gets the job done quicker. Yeah. Anyway, this is not about porn. <laughs> Ray McGainal... Um... We, we will talk about the McGainals filmography later. Yeah. On in our... a different podcast. In our porno podcast. <laughs> uh, that's, for... the, that's, the, that's the British... That's the BFI, the British Fucking Institute. <laughs> British top fucking, 100. Top 100 British pornos. <laughs> we call it for... For, for peen and country. For with a C-U-N-T. There's no O in that country. No. <laughs> anyway, the father. The father. Let's talk about him. He's a lovely, lovely actor, and yeah, complicated guy. Clearly has anger issues. Uh, is stressed out. He's because uh, yeah, you know, he's a bricklayer. That's a hard job. He's uh, he's working all the time. He loses his job at one point, and yeah. we get the sense that he likes to drink a lot because he's at the bar a lot and he's drunk. Uh, so that's what gives us that sense. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a complicated relationship with everyone. Yeah. Um. I feel like him and uh, Brenda Fricker, the mother, they're very close. Yes. They're they're not really at each other's throats, but I mean, there's a lot. You know, te- normal like you know, we're poor and we're kind of arguing every now and then yeah, over our stressed. situation type thing. I mean, they're eating porridge in one scene with uh, for, for supper. Lo- bre- yeah, for supper, which is all honestly. That's actually what I want to talk about. So there's lots of scenes in this movie that start out so intense mm. intensely dramatic but then suddenly end up strangely comedic yeah like that porridge scene one of the brothers can't eat it and yeah. he's like I can't and the father basically gets up and he's like put eat it you'll eat put it. that in your mouth and you'll eat it and, and then like... you get Christy saying like uh, well he makes his like three little bears Goldilocks yeah. reference and everybody starts laughing yeah. and then all of a sudden it turns into a comedic scene much like when the father passes away mm. What does it turn into? A bar fight. It turns into a bar fight. Well, yeah. A ridiculous bar fight. Oh, it's like part the of the old like, woman even smashes a glass over someone's head. Well, I, I think it's part of it, like because Christy is Christy and he's he's disabled, uh, he can get away with stuff that the rest of them can't. So he can make those jokes, and it just pisses his father off, and his father storms upstairs rather than getting mad at them, and they that's, all have a moment of tension relief. You know? That's another thing too yeah. is when he pisses his father off, his father approaches him and kind of raises his fists yeah. a little bit, but he doesn't do anything. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna hit my. He, I'm not gonna hit my son. <laughs> he doesn't hit any of his other sons no. either. He does, like I said." He does hit the daughter though yeah. and that honestly that's awkward to put that in there because it's like well he, it's like it's, it says a lot about his character he's like he's not willing to punch his son but he's willing to slap around his daughter yeah i mean it gives him a sense of like maybe that's just to give him like you know he's not a perfect person no, he had an anger he had a freak out he he i'm not saying uh, i'm not saying what he did was right what you're saying brent is that you support domestic abuse no i'm not saying that at all you uh, heard it here first folks <laughs> so put it on t-shirts don't do, that's not going to be on red bubble <laughs> But anyway, yes. All I wanted to say was the father very complicated. Yeah. He uh, he's proud, yet I think at times he's more relieved. I think we're a little bit differing on his character, but I don't feel like he's a great person. No, no, but I don't all. feel like he's a terrible person. Either. No, he's he's, he's seen, real. I've he's seen, real. Exactly. He's real. He he's kind of a crappy father, but he also does love his kids. But he's also you know not the greatest at being a dad. He does his best, like so many dads do. Yep. You know. The other thing I wanted to say, when the the big moment to kind of finish the movie, as you were saying, Christy, when he's going on, he's eventually going to go on the date with Mary. The family is leaving, and they're like, oh, "Come on, Christy." And he's like, "No, no, get out of here! I'll kick your arse!" Like that whole thing, um, <laughs> doing that brotherly shit talking that we uh, that that I certainly enjoy with my friends, and not so much with my brother. My brother's very earnest. Your brother's Jim Varney? Yes. <laughs> hey there, Vern, is what he'd say to me growing up. You, my name's not even Vern. You heard here, folks. You heard here first, folks. Um, but yeah, no, he's, t- he's telling his, uh, he's telling his brother, like, get out of here, get out of here. It's kind of him 
finally being able to get rid of his comfort blanket in a way mm-hmm. because like he's always gone to the family yeah. i mean i'm not saying he's like whined or whatever but like his family's already always been there as a net yeah. um and he's finally able to kind of separate from that go with mary of course a little bit problematic because we know the real story but that you know what are you gonna do that's how the movie ends to paraphrase freddie mercury he wanted to break free and he did to some extent and i could do a whole to... podcast series about how that movie made me upset. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. All right. Well, we'll save that for our newest podcast for Queen and Country, which is actually what the phrase is. <laughs> is there anything else you want to mention from the film? Any scenes that we kind of really touch on? or I just want to point out that Daniel Day-Lewis has a reputation as one of the greatest actors of all time, and he deserves it because he is fucking phenomenal in this movie, and it only bodes well for the future career that we know he has. I mean, he kind of phones it in, right? <laughs> yes. He's doing a half-assed, half-assed approach. Oh, look at me! I have cerebral palsy and I'm from Ireland. That's him, right that's, there. That's your Daniel Lewis impression. Well, speaking of Daniel Lewis impressions, Jason, since you set this up so beautifully and not even like prepared, to I, do I it, swear to do it there way. was no preparation. No, I want to play a little clip. I mean, you know, English patient. We had a Seinfeld bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, uh, the show In Living Color did a little play on my left foot. Called My Left Foot of Fury. Now you'll have to like imagine a little bit of uh, a visual here. This is uh, theater of the mind. So yeah. imagine you're listening to the radio version of In Living Color. So this is Jim Carrey uh, portraying Daniel Day Lewis, portraying Christy Brown, and another actor who I don't know who it is, but he's playing Jean Claude Van Damme. And this is, is it one the, of the Ivory Wayanses? No, this is nobody in the cast. I guess so that'd be Keenan. This is the uh, the okay. This is the clip. <laughs> Who's gonna make me? Oh, yeah. Who's gonna help you, Gibby? I am. Van Damme, brass knuckles. Reunited with his Belgian brother Jean-Claude Van Damme, he's putting his foot down where it counts. Van Damme, nunchucks! There you have it. So a little bit of pop culture. Uh, a little bit of this movie makes its way into pop culture. I love that A Living Color represents that brief era from like 1989 <laughs> through about 1993 when we can find, like, if we need a pop culture reference for a movie that we've watched, it's probably from there. I mean, we could, also use, we could always use The Simpsons, but, I mean, a, a certain other uh, top 100 list uses The Simpsons. No, I, don't, I, I, don't I only want to use shows that are from this specific era, that we're only on for that exact time. <laughs> um... And while we're at it, uh, why don't we just play this other clip? This last clip here. This is about uh, this is about Daniel Day Lewis and kind of his style of uh, preparing slash acting for this role. I want to hear this. Well, he's a very serious actor. He takes his work very seriously. He works so hard, investing the character with everything that he can give it, and very very impressive to see him work. Daniel Day Lewis decided from day one that it was going to be an absolute correct portrayal of somebody with cerebral palsy. So he went to the clinic every day, every morning for six weeks. He also hired a disabled painter to teach him how to paint, to hold a brush. He kind of worked, rehearsed the typing with his toe. Even if he went to get food in the canteen, he'd still be in character. He'd still be sitting in a wheelchair or have to be helped or carried. He broke two ribs during the shoot, as far as I remember, just from being crunched up all the time. Uh, but he never complained. He had a wonderful agent who was very far back, very British, and he came to visit him on the set to have lunch. 
and Daniel wouldn't come out of character. And he kept asking them to give him some food in his mouth. And the guy said, is this a bloody joke or something? He says, I'm off. There you have it. So Daniel was a very method actor. Um, is going as far, so far as to make have his agent feed him. Yeah. <laughs> Ballsy. But that's just the kind of dick he can swing, Daniel Day-Lewis. Well, especially now. and Daniel Day-Lewis, I want to say, has a reputation of not being a dick at all. Oh, no, no. He is known as one of the most, humbler, most humble people in Hollywood, I believe. And Jason... You were talking about this before we started recording. Why is that, do you think? Because, he, like James Brown, he's the hardest working man in show business. Well, and, he, and acting is not his only... Yeah, acting was not his only his pursuit. I, I was reading up a little bit on Daniel Day-Lewis, and apparently when he was a teenager, he had a bit of a rough patch. He'd been acting out and whatever. But he had found some kind of relief in acting that had kind of, you know, kept him from getting into trouble. And acting was something he liked to do, but it wasn't his passion. He was super interested in being a cabinet maker. And he went so far as to apply for, like, to do an apprenticeship, but they denied him because he didn't have enough experience. So, <laughs> in a reversal of, of what most people do, he fell back on acting and uh, went into it, and then from there, had a career. And it's crazy, right? It's funny, because now he's a shoemaker, I think, in his uh, yeah. hobbler in his spare time. I mean, uh, uh, what was the last um, what was the last film he did? Phantom uh, Thread. Phantom Thread. He said was going to be his last movie. I mean, he said that before. Yeah. But he also said in the interview, he's like, I don't know if he's being 100% serious, but he says, I have no real sense of time. So when someone told me, do this movie, if you want to do this movie, and I read the script, I said, sure. They said, wow, this is the first movie you've done in five years. And I said, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like he doesn't, he's not a celebrity. Yeah. He's an actor. And that's yeah. what I think what I love about him. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't seek out the spotlight. And it works for him because no. it, it helps How many him... interviews have you seen him in? Yeah, barely any. Like... When I was doing my research for this, I found an interview he did around the time of my left foot with Arsenio Hall. <laughs> now, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, unique stuff that he said, so I didn't mm. put it on. But, I mean, that's rare. Mm. He, it's not like he's on The Tonight Show no. promoting his stuff. No, he's, he, 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 I think he lets his work speak for itself and he'd rather just avoid the rest of the bullshit. That's true. Uh, there is another thing that Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't really like talking about his craft and how he gets to a character. There's a lot of things actors don't like, mm. which I understand because a lot of it is very personal. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the critique of this movie here as we start to wind down. Uh, at the Oscars, it's nominated for Best Picture, which was won by... Which Now, they w it went up against Field of Dreams. Yep. It's a good movie. Dead Poets Society. It's a great movie. I like that movie. Yep. Uh, Born on the Fourth of July. I haven't seen that That's movie. a great movie. But it lost, unfortunately, to Driving Miss Daisy with which Jessica Tandy Computers and Morgan Freeman. <laughs> which I've never seen. No. I, I, and I saw it probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I was a kid. I don't remember much about it other than being Morgan Freeman driving around some old white lady in a car. That's I think you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, so it was also nominated. Jim Sheridan was nominated for Best Director. And who won Best Director that Best year? Director was actually won by Oliver Stone for Born on the Fourth of July. Now, oh, wow. that's You know what? That's surprising. Because and, he, usually, and he went up against... Uh, what? Yeah, I was just going to say, usually the Best Director, um, or a lot of times Best Director for uh, the movie ends up winning Best Picture. Yeah, and, and he was up against... Actually, it's funny because the director of Driving Miss Daisy was not even nominated uh, Man, for wow. Best Director. Uh, uh, Jim Sheridan, of course, was nominated. Kenneth Branagh for Henry V. Okay. Uh, Peter Weir for the Dead Poets Society and Woody Allen for Crimes and Misdemeanors. But we don't talk about Woody Allen anymore. No, we do not. Nor do we Roman Polanski. <laughs> um, uh, it also was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, this was the year that Denzel Washington won for Glory. I fucking love that movie. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to watch a great American movie, watch Glory. It also was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm -hmm. Now what 
won that year. That was uh, also Driving Miss Daisy. Okay. I don't know what that was adapted from. Uh, I guess, oh, it's a play. A script. It was a play. It was adapted from a play. <laughs> it was adapted from a movie script. It was adapted from a TV script. <laughs> um, and okay, so here's where it won. So, I mean, the obvious one is it won for Best Actor for Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. But it also... The first, by the way, of three Best Actor. Three, which I think is unprecedented. It's a record for, for individual winning Best Actor awards. But this part I had no idea. Or sorry, no, male, because Katherine Hepburn has won four yeah. Best Actress awards. But this part I had no idea. Brenda Fricker actually did win Best Supporting Actress. Deservedly so. Yeah. That's uh, amazing. So that that's so it wins two Oscars. It wins the two of the acting awards, uh, but nothing else. She um, dropped Julia Roberts from Steel Magnolias. Magnolias. Steel what? Steel Magnolias. <laughs> wow, that's a heavyweight performance. She knocked out Angelica Houston. She fucked over Lena Olin. She pounded Diane West in Parenthood. Diane Weist. Diane Weist. Yes, I've watched Family Guy. I should know that. Yeah, you should. So again, this film had universal acclaim. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes. It's a ninety-seven percent critics rating, a ninety-two percent audience. Like it's pretty, pretty damn close. Roger Ebert kind of summed up this movie beautifully. Um, he said, "My Left Foot is a great film for many reasons. He gives it four out of four stars. Mm-hmm. But the most important is that it gives us such a complete picture of this man's life. It is not an inspirational movie, although it inspires." It is not a sympathetic movie, although it inspires sympathy. It is the story of a stubborn, difficult, blessed, and gifted man who has dealt a bad hand, who played it brilliantly, and who left us some good books, some good paintings, and the example of his cur- and the example of his courage. It must not have been easy. That's his kind of recap. Yeah, now, nails it. I'd say there is a negative review yeah. I have here, and I think this is insane. Who is the reviewer? It's from the Examiner. The Examiner. It's just uh, yeah. Which Examiner? Uh, pfft. The world. The National Examiner? No, not the National Enquirer. Not, 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 well, the National Examiner is a Packer paper. Yeah, is... I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. It just says the Examiner. Just, just the generic Examiner. I don't want to put anybody on... Uh, on, on. Well, we're putting the Examiner on blast right on now. On blast, yeah. Okay. Despite fine performances from Daniel Day-Lewis and Brenda Fricker, My Left Foot is a middling biopic that takes a rather superficial look at the extraordinary life of Christy Brown, never daring to go deeper into what made him tick. That is insane. Never daring to go deeper. Are you kidding me? That is what this whole movie is. It goes as deep as you could possibly go mm. into seeing what makes Christy Brown tick. If I mean, anything, I mean, short of like, <laughs> like hearing his internal monologue. If anything, and that would be ridiculous. <laughs> if anything, this ca- this character has the most depth of any character we've ever talked about on the show. Yeah. Like certainly, I mean, Zulu's a great film, but how much do you know about Michael Caine's character? That's you know true. what I mean? Like it's, it's well, what what you know what what if we what if they went back and they got Daniel Stern to narrate? Like, as Christy Brown. <laughs> like, what's that show? That's Wonder Years. That's Wonder Years. <laughs> well, it turns out I had cerebral, cerebral palsy. <laughs> I wasn't was, real happy about that. It was the first day of the rest of my life. Dad was drinking at the bar With again. a little help <laughs> for my friends. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Can I say one thing I don't yeah. like? All right, answer quickly. Can I say one, one thing I don't like about the... Uh, this is going to sound weird, but the cover art. Yeah. The cover art of My Left Foot... One of the covers, anyways, the DVD. It's just, uh, it's Daniel Day Lewis, but it's like it's like a glamour shot of his face, and in the background you see uh, Ruth McCabe playing Mary, who's just kind of does, doing her little dance that she does at the end of the movie. But that's the cover. That doesn't make any sense. So it's like, so it's, it's like a Daniel Day Lewis headshot mixed with a picture of her from the movie. Yeah, it's half of a Daniel Day Lewis headshot, but he's not like. I mean, I don't want to sound horrible, but he's not doing... He's not acting as Christy no, Brown. No, he's, he's not all tensed up. And, yeah, and, yeah. He's, he's just... It's just... It's literally a headshot. And That's, I'm like, 
What are you? What is this trying to get across? This is just the poor marketing departments and people that sell DVDs. They have that perfectly lovely poster that has like kind of the painted foot on it. That yeah, oh, I love that. Kind of gets uh, two things across: one that it, there's painting involved, and second that there's a foot involved. Yeah, gets those two things pretty clear. Okay, well, Jason, that was quite a film. We've come to the end of our show. But I just uh, want to say, I just want to say, like, like straight up, this was a like of all the movies we've watched, this may have been like the most entertaining. Okay, like, like it's a weird thing to say about a movie that's about a guy's life, but I just yeah, it was just really good and it's I really riveting. enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it's really it was fascinating. So I my, didn't think I'd like it as much as I did. So my question then, yeah, it's number. We didn't mention this. We usually mention this at, this at the top, but it's number fifty three. On the BFI Top 100 yes. uh, list, where does it fall for you right now? Well, so currently my list, on my list, as you will remember, the greatest British film ever made is Zulu, yes. and the worst British film ever made is The English Patient. Yes. Uh, I am willing to slot this one right into number two right now. I, still, I still like still Zulu. still retaining Zulu. Zulu. Zulu is a great movie, and I love it, And but this one is definitely in the number two slot. Okay. Um, this is a difficult one for me. But... This is the ultimate debate. I mean, I think we kind of answered it already. But the ultimate debate is, I'm sure, people are wondering, is this a great movie? Or is this a great performance from Daniel Day-Lewis and a pretty good movie? I think we answered it that it yeah. is a great movie. I think it's a pretty solid movie. I yeah. think it's a pretty great movie. And Daniel Day-Lewis is fan-fucking-tastic. I feel dirty ranking the full Monty above this. Mm-hmm. So I will put it... As of now, yeah. Jason yeah. McCloud, mm-hmm. this is the greatest British film of all time. Of all time. For me. Goat. Yeah. Goat Brendan, goat. I'm going to put it at number one. All right. Sweet. Uh, so, so far. I mean, so far. we've got a long way to go. We've got movies to go. We've got 95 more to go. We are 120th of the way done. <laughs> So, so anyway, with that being said, that we have a long way to go, we should find out, a short time to get there, <laughs> we should find out where we're going next, next week. Next week. Yeah. So, so Jason, <laughs> I have these dice in my hand here. Yes, you should give me those dice so that I can I, roll those dice. I should not, because we actually fucked up. No, we didn't. We both did. No, Brendan fucked up. Uh, last week... He didn't sh- remember that I'd already rolled the dice, oh. and he handed them to me, and he made me roll those dice. You told me off air you were not going to blame this on me. This is a, this is a total uh, look, ambush. Look, look, I gotta cover my own ass here, and if that means selling you down the river, so be it. Well, anyway, last week, I should have rolled the dice. I did not. Jason did. So for the next... For this time and next week, I will be rolling the dice. That's horseshit! Because I fucked up. So, Jason. All right. We're going to find out. Well, I don't really care now because you roll these dice. So. Jason, we're going to find out where we're going next. You know what? I can't lie. I'm too excited. All right. Here we go. What do we got? What do we got? Oh, I hope it's something good. Oh, Whatever something Whatever number we get on the dice is the number on the BFI I don't want to do Lawrence of Arabia yet. It's too long. <laughs> Let me finish. <laughs> Whatever number we get on the dice is the number on the BFI Top 100 that we are covering next. All right. Ooh, I'm so excited. Are you ready? I'm ready. I want to know. I hope it's not Lawrence of Arabia. I don't want to watch a four-hour movie yet, but I love that movie, so who knows? Let's see. So many conflicting emotions. Here we go. Do-do-do. 83. 83. Darling. Oh. 1965's Darling, directed by John Schlesinger. I have no idea what this is. I've never heard of that movie. Ever. Never. Well. All right, well. I guess we have that to look forward to. We're going back to 1965. Yeah. So, well, Jason, I don't have a lot to say about next week. We're going to have to see what happens. We, we, 
I say, we're going to watch a film, darling. Uh, darling? Darling. Yes, John Schlesinger. Yes, John Schlesinger classic called Darling. Well, with that being said, God save the queen. God save the screen. For Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. See you next week. Ka-o-ga. Eyes down the Glen Easter morn to a city fair old I. There are mad lines of marching men in squadrons past me by. No fight did hum nor battle. Hey everyone, it's Chris and Mike from The Recasting Couch, the podcast where we take our favorite movies and discuss what they would be like with new actors in all the lead roles. Hey Mike, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find our website at therecastingcouch.com or on Twitter at RecastingPod. And of course, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, if there's a service that's not posting our pod, you let us know and we will rectify that immediately. Damn right. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one last plot holes a gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven Izzy At eilfm.podbean.com